0: And welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that takes you inside the biggest deals at the biggest clubs in world football. I am your host, Johnny McFarlane, and today I'm joined by pod regulars Ian McGarry and Duncan Castles. On the pod today, how do you solve a problem like Ronaldo? We assess Real Madrid's situation as Florentino Perez faces up to losing the world's best player. Nabil Fakir's move from Lyon to Liverpool collapsed this week. We take you inside the deal to find out why. And Chelsea's chaotic summer continues with no movement on Antonio Conte's position. We bring you the names of the World Cup bosses who are in contention to replace him. Okay guys, where else to start but with the best player in the world arguably, Cristiano Ronaldo, who is... Well, he's not having the best of times at Real Madrid in terms of uh, getting a contract agreed. What's happening there, Ian? Um, well, we did speak about this
1: almost on a weekly basis, don't we, Johnny, um, in terms of Cristiano? And every time he wants a new contract, he um, he claims he wants to leave. And obviously there was a big statement about that after the Champions League final win, etc., etc., He's now gone off to the World Cup with Portugal and enjoying cake. By uh, judging by the pictures that we uh, that we've been seeing coming in when Portugal arrived, I do think, and it's my um, information from sources at the club, that they're getting a little bit tired of this game with Cristiano. Um, you know, they win a big trophy again, Champions League for the third time in a row in terms of um, the last three weeks, and Cristiano says, "Okay." I want a new contract. Uh, I'm not being paid as much as Messi is at Barcelona. Um, I'm the best player in the world, therefore I deserve that. What he doesn't take into account is that he's 33, and even though in Cristiano's mind he will play until he's 40, and I'm not in any way decrying the potential for that to happen, I would just say that um, look, facts and physicality and history tells us that a player of Cristiano's ability cannot at least we don't think can cannot continue to produce at the level he has over the last twelve years into his late thirties, and Real Madrid are definitely recalcitrant about giving another upgrade on his contract. Um, he's still ha- he's still under contract. It's not like he's about to leave for free. So um, it's a game of uh, I think uh, brinkmanship between the club. and and Cristiano and George Mendes as agent with regards to what happens I just I think Real Madrid is a natural home and I think that he has shown in his performances and his remarkable, absolutely almost superhuman record as a player at the Bernabeu that that's where he needs to be to be at his best and so moving now I think would be Bit of a risk for him because not only will he not be playing at the highest level, which Real Madrid certainly is, um, but who can afford him? To my knowledge, there is very little, if almost no interest, in the Premier League for Cristiano Ronaldo at 33 years of age and at the wages which he is asking for or demanding, and therefore um, his choices are very limited. (laughs) I, I believe that Duncan will be able to enlighten us on, on a, maybe a possible exit for him and also the mechanism that um, that, that may well be the segue to that.
2: I think, um, Johnny, Cristiano would take a great, great offence at your description of arguably the best player in the world. Um, his argument is he is the best player in the world. In fact, he's, he thinks he's the, he's the greatest sportsman of all time all sports, all time, and that's his mission is to prove that in the the remainder of career, which, as Ian says, he he plans to play into his 40s. His argument, you'll back that up by saying, of the last five Ballon d'Ors, I've won four of them. And his dispute with Real Madrid is that uh, Lionel Messi is paid uh, significantly more than him. Um, New contract that's worth 50 million net uh, signed last year um, for four years, and which, including the the 100 million signing on fee, gets him to 50 uh, billion net per year over those four years. Ronaldo is way, way behind those figures. He's also paid less than Neymar. Um, At the end of last season, he was promised an upgrade by Florentino Perez. The upgrade he was eventually offered would still not have got him on par with Messi. Um, and was uh, very much performance-related, uh, driven. I.e., no guarantee of the same salary as Messi, um, and would only get close to Messi's salary if he kept on winning the Champions League and kept on winning Ballon d'Ors. So and he, he considers that an insult. That's the, the sort of precursor of what happened post Champions League final. Subsequent to the Champions League final, um, Ronaldo's agent has met with Florentino Perez to try and push the matter and get the contract he feels Cristiano and Cristiano feels he's deser- they deserve and they have got no positive response from that. So their, their stance at present is that it looks unlikely that he will remain at Real Madrid at the end of the summer and they're looking for outs. Um, they don't think Manchester United is a strong possibility because as we discussed in the in the transfer window last week, United are well served in that area of the field um, and more likely to recruit on the right-hand side of the attack and, and are working on a deal for Gareth Bale. So that leaves the option as Paris Saint-Germain. Um, that, they think, is very much possible. There's no issue with finance in the sense that Qatar will pay top dollar for players, as they've demonstrated with Neymar, as they've demonstrated with Kylian Mbappe. Um, So the the Qatar state is prepared to pay what Ronaldo wants to join the club. Um, The issues are financial fair play in that, what can PSG and Qatar get past UEFA in terms of financing the deal um, on their balance book? So transfer cost becomes an issue and moving players off the wage bill. And I'm told they are working on that at present. So from Ronaldo's side, they are pushing it to Madrid. If you're not going to pay your best player, the best player in the world, what he feels he deserves, then you have to allow him to leave for a reasonable price. So they're trying to negotiate the fee down so it fits PSG's financial fair play problems, which aren't... Precisely defined yet, PSG are still waiting for UEFA to tell them um, exactly what they're going to be sanctioned on and and into and what um, level they need to push the revenue and get their costs down to for the next season. On PSG's side, they're looking to sell players such as Gonzalo Guedes, who they should get, who's been on loan at Valencia, who they should get a, a big fee for, Angel Di Maria, Julian Draxler, um, even players like Edouard at Celtic will be sold um, to raise cash for transfer fees, but also to reduce their wage bill. Um, what we need to see is whether Madrid will blink. Um, whether they There's still a question whether Florentino Perez feels he can get away with moving Cristiano Ronaldo out this summer. And with, as with most things with Madrid, I think this, a lot of it comes down to public relations and comes down to what the, the fans' reaction will be. And I think that's part of the reason why Cristiano Ronaldo spoke out after the, the Champions League final, was to try and get the fan reaction on his side um, to, to have a, a weight um, of support or force behind him to enable him to get that new contract. I don't think that's happened. And if Florentino feels the time is right to move the player out, then what you know is that the player and his advisor are also doing the work to get him uh, another club and another club where he can go and pursue Champions Leagues and pursue silverware and score goals and set the records that are so important to him and that, that long-term goal of establishing himself as the greatest sportsman of all time.
0: Ian, you know a lot about PR. In terms of moving Cristiano Ronaldo on, as Duncan's alluded to, how on earth could the club do that without provoking a mass reaction? We're talking about a player that's won four European Cups with the club and is generally regarded as in the top two players in the world. How could they do that? He's a club legend. It's it's about replacement, Johnny. Um,
1: the clear would have to have a clear, uh, a very, very solid plan in mind with which to... Um, extract Cristiano Ronaldo to another club and then bring in a player as exciting or um, as effective or potentially as effective. Now, many of our listeners will have heard us talk about Neymar and Real Madrid over the course of the last few months. And of course, you know, the the very public courting of Neymar by Florentino Perez has become uh, just par for the course almost on a week to week basis. I think Duncan would agree that um, the Qatari owners of PSG uh, would not um, allow Neymar to leave after just one season, despite the player's own reservations about re- re- retaining his status at PSG, and also the um, the fee would be in excess of three hundred million euros anyway, which I would say is not outrageous, and it would also be something which, if Real thought it was credible and 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 uh, it would get them out of PSG, then they would be prepared to certainly negotiate on that. I think a more credible and more realistic prospect is that the transfer of Kylian Mbappe uh, on a permanent basis from Monaco to PSG, which is still under tenure in terms of a legal contract, um, that could be changed and that Mbappe could actually go in the other direction to Real Madrid, uh, a club who he agreed to join last summer Um, before PSG put in place the agreement to take him on loan with a view to buying him on a permanent basis. And you would get a kind of uneasy, but certainly beneficial agreement on both, I'd say movement on both sides, i.e. Real get uh, probably one of the best young players in Europe, if not the best young player in Europe, and certainly a Ballon d'Or future candidate uh, in Mbappe. And that PSG get what is one of the world's most marketable Um, obviously, as we said before, Ballon d'Or, four-time winner in the last five years. And so, therefore, they could kind of agree an uneasy truce with regards to the exchange of players. They could indemnify their um, financial fair play obligations by doing it as a cash-plus-player swap type thing. Uh, You would see that Real could unload Ronaldo's current hefty contract Uh, in terms of his wages, to PSG, who would absorb them quite easily. And Mbappe himself would then obviously uh, upgrade his own contract to go to Real Madrid. I would say that's not an unlikely scenario um, this summer. I'd say that's more likely than Neymar changing places with Ronaldo uh, at Real Madrid and that Neymar would get um, a a new player in Ronaldo. I'd say that Ronaldo, I think, would be a little bit, um, let's just say... Uh, His status as the most important player in any club that he plays for is important to him, and so transferring to PSG, which still has Neymar there, might create a bit of a problem because, um, we both well, we all know that uh, one of the reasons Neymar wanted to move away from Barcelona was because he felt overshadowed by Messi. So how would Neymar feel about Ronaldo coming in? How would Ronaldo feel transferring to a club like PSG where Neymar's already there and established as the player, etc., etc.? et, cetera, et cetera? So I think there's a lot of, let's just say, issues to be overcome for, in order for that kind of transaction to take place. But at the same time, I wouldn't rule it out because there's clearly um, a point of, um, let's just say, crossroads in Cristiano's career uh, at this moment in time. And... Uh, there also are problems of financial fair play, at Paris Saint Germain, which need to be resolved as well. And this looks like a reasonably good sort of outcome for
0: both sides should they decide to pursue it. Ian, you have some news on Tottenham and Daniel Levy's steel-like grip over certain players at that club, and the effect that's going to have on someone like Toby Alderweireld, who has been linked with a move to Manchester United.
1: Things at Tottenham move on um, apace, Johnny, um, in terms of their stadium, but uh, the construction has not led to the, the de- deconstruction of the birdcage um, in terms of salary caps and everything else at Tottenham. And um, Duncan, quite rightly, has uh, mentioned the renegotiation of contracts Harry Kane obviously is, I think, an anomaly. Um, he's a Spurs supporter, one of us, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Doesn't want to leave, wants to break um, Jimmy Greaves' record, etc. And then, then might move on um, after that. But people at like Deli Alley, Christian Eriksen, Hyman's son, um, and and Toby Alderweireld, who is out of contract a, a year this summer, um, are not quite the same uh, cut of cloth as Harry Kane. I think it is the case that the, the club have worked very hard to uh, negotiate and are hopeful of concluding contract negotiations with all of those players outside of all the world to keep them at the club. But this uh, glass ceiling, if you like, or the birdcage that I call it, at Tottenham is a very, very um, difficult one to negotiate for the, in terms of um, keeping their best players because... Uh, Look just look at the likes of Gareth Bale, who left Spurs um, earning sixty five thousand pounds a week, and his first salary at Real Madrid was the excess of one hundred and seventy five thousand, and then he's since you know graduated to in, to in excess of three hundred thousand euros uh, per week, and clearly there are players at Spurs, and especially ones who will compete in the World Cup this summer about to start this week, who will. No doubt excel, excite, and effect, put themselves in the, in the window the transfer window as well as being exceptional so for the products of Ericsson and, and Ali or Delhi, I should say um, in particular, there will be offers you know way in excess of what they're currently earning at tottenham um, and and that 's going to create a problem for Daniel levy regardless of uh, pochettino 's uh, Demeanor, regard if he stays, if he doesn't, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Because you've got agents, you've got uh, connections of who will all be saying, "Why should you stay at White Hart Lane or New White Hart Lane, depending on what they decide to call it, um, for a fraction of what you could earn somewhere else?" And at that point, uh, that proves a very difficult situation for Spurs because you get back into the Gareth Bale, and Modric even going further back than that, Michael Carrick scenarios where they're being offered a hell of a lot of money for players they've paid a relatively small fee for um, and then therefore making a massive profit. So, again, this is going to be a massive summer for, for Spurs. As much as, I mean, I, I was quite kind of, I guess I was, I was sort of tickled a little bit because of Harry Kane glossing over the actual facts by saying it's been a great few seasons and hopefully there's more. They've won nothing. And Harry Kane is not a player who wants to you know look back in his career and say, actually, I got no medals. So even Kane, who is, as I said, a committed Spurs fan and everything else, and send you six year contract, they do not want to be at a club where they can't see medals and trophies in front of them. Um, and therefore, I think people like Ericsson, Son, um, and even Daly will be less uh, emotional or certainly um, more realistic about finding a team where they can actually challenge and win trophies for. So everything is in Levy's corner. He can force to keep Pochettino. He can enforce to keep his best players because they're on the contract. But what he needs to do is give them the Optimism and uh, the motivation by buying in players who actually are ready-made winners to come into Spurs and play in the Premier League and win trophies, whether it be FA Cup or what, or you know, go further than Champions League, etc. That's what Levy's challenges this summer, and with a new stadium, etc. He needs to meet and rise up to that challenge, both for the manager and for the players. I think in the case of Valde Verald, it's obviously gone too far. Um, unless there's some massive about-face turn in terms of the contract negotiations, he will leave. But as usual, Spurs are asking £50-60 for a player who's one year out of contract, which I think is a little bit excessive. But at the same time, uh, he was you know, one of the best three defenders in the Premier League for the last two or three seasons. Um, so why not? Why isn't he worth £50-60 when you get John Stones, Virgil uh, van Dijk, Going for in excess of fifty million pound fees, uh, but Alderweireld will be a big loss to Tottenham in terms of um, his ability to play, but also his ability to gel as well with Jan Vertonghen, etc. Clearly, um, in the last few months, he's been injured, but also uh, Pochettino has not allowed him to, or to not picked him to play in the first team on the basis that his contract situation is detrimental to the progress of the team. So th- I think there's he will leave but I think it'll be for less than the £50 million pounds fee quoted by Tottenham.
2: Yeah, I think the asking price for uh, Alderweireld has actually been £75 million on Tottenham's part, which is the, essentially the price that um, Southampton secured for Virgil van Dijk. And you can see Daniel Levy's reasoning. Uh, Alderweireld's been a better defender than van Dijk, so I want as much money for him as Liverpool were prepared to pay um, for the Dutch uh, defender. Um, that combined with the salary demands has made it difficult for Aldo to find a club. And it also, he's, as Ian says, he's been placed in that kind of Levy, malcontent um, player uh, box where, um, which Kyle Walker has been in and Danny Rose has been in. And it's, um, well, if you're not going to sign a new contract at the terms that I offer you, which will be anything like, you can get elsewhere, then you're not going to get to play as much. Um, and I'm going to encourage... Your sale because I want to take a profit on you and and uh, spend it on other players. Alderweireld's gone through the season in that position. Um, they've been working; his agents been very, working very hard to try and find him another club. He's on the recruitment list for Manchester United, um, but I understand he's not top of that recruitment list at centre back, partly because of the price and partly because of the the, the wages involved. Um, At present, I think he's in quite a difficult situation because he doesn't have a firm offer from Manchester United and he doesn't have a firm offer from anywhere else. So from what I understand, he is looking at the possibility that he might have to stay at Tottenham for another season um, or might have to accept lesser terms than he he was expecting to get elsewhere to stay at Tottenham. Um, So that one is very much a situation to watch. Um, and it, and it's interesting to see if Levy will be prepared to compromise on price there or whether he feels it's a player that can be reintegrated into the team if they don't get the, the fee he wants for him. Um, in terms of Man United, they're also um, playing clever, boxing cleverly when it comes to Alexandro. Um, they're aware that that Juventus want to sell the player. Um, they're aware that Allegri, one of Allegri's conditions to remain at Juventus for another season. And to note here that Madrid contacted Allegri to, to um, inquire about his availability to take over from uh, Zidane recently. And Allegri, uh, I'm told, said no to them on the basis that he didn't feel it was the right time to come to the club and that he'd already committed to Juventus. Um, the reason he committed to Juventus is he'd asked for a big overhaul of the playing staff, um, five, four, five, six of the senior players leaving and four, five, six younger players coming in to, to rebuild the team and to get to, into a structure he felt had a better chance of finally winning the Champions League. Um, Alexandro is one of the players Juventus are prepared to sell. They are asking over €60 million Euros for him. They think they can cash in. They're very, very aware of Manchester United's interest for over six months. They know the player wants to go there. United know this. Um, They know that they don't have significant competition at present, i.e. there's not another club out there, as far as they know, who's prepared to pay $60 for the player. So they're allowing uh, the story to go out that... um, their, they've cooled their interest in in Alessandro and um, are looking at other options for the left back position. I think this is it's basically a classic um, transfer market standoff where the two clubs know each other's positions. One is asking for too much money. Um, Juventus are happy to talk to the media saying we're we're having new contract talks with with Alessandro to try and um, make it appear that he's fundamental to their plans when he isn't actually fundamental. Um, which would suggest that this one will roll on um, for quite some time before the clubs come to a compromise, um, if they come to a compromise at all. And that would require, I'm told, Juventus to lower their asking price considerably before Manchester United will pay it.
0: Well, from uh, Manchester United across uh, to their bitter rivals uh, in Liverpool, Nabil Fakir is a player that's been heavily linked Uh, with a move to Merseyside looked like a very exciting prospect but it all seems to have fallen apart Ian
1: Yeah, it's a very um, unusual um, situation as well Johnny in terms of the way that this has um, developed and transpired Um, Effectively uh, Lyon and uh, Liverpool uh, agreed a fee for Fakia which allowed the player to have a medical uh, under Liverpool's um, doctor's supervision and then they found some kind of, and I can't um, sp- specify what it was because obviously that's uh, confidential to the doctors, but they found something which made Liverpool slightly wary of paying the full fee, which was in excess of 60 million euros. And Liverpool offered a, um, a compromise agreement uh, based on the medical results, which of course Lyon Liver- uh, were made aware of. Uh, which included a a flat fee plus add-ons, should the player play x amount of games, should they you know achieve set results, stuff which is fairly normal in terms of transfers anyway, but the the abnormality obviously in this case was the lowered initial fee. Uh, Lyon have rejected that, and um, now Fakir is in a sort of no man's land of not knowing if he's going to be moving or not, and Liverpool themselves have kind of moved on a little bit from it because they feel like, well, if we're not going to get the player for a price that we feel is um, economically correct for us based on the medical, then we would rather look elsewhere. I'd also say as well, um, and again, not second-guessing Jurgen Klopp here, but they do seem very well... um, uh, endowed in terms of their attacking midfielders, their, their attacking players going forward. So Fakir, I think, was someone who they felt, if the trident of Mane, uh, Firmino and um, Salah, uh, if one of them was injured or, or slightly off form or needed arrest, rest, etc, Fakir was someone who could come in and replace them. Um, but obviously, the feeling is not at that price. That, that they were being quoted by Lyon so for the moment Fakir I said remains in, in a sort of no man's land of not, not actually knowing if this transfer is going to go through or not. An unusual situation but 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 not unprecedented and I think Liverpool given their um, current financial commitment to signing um, uh, Navi Keita from RB Leipzig uh, where they're going to be paying uh, again around that same fee again although, albeit he's a central midfielder central attacking midfielder um, I think they don't want to price themselves out of moves for positions where they really need to strengthen And We obviously all know that that's centre back and goalkeeper, so and possibly a striker as well. So I think this is a, a, a one will de- this one will develop. I think and it will it will run and run a little bit um, through the course of the summer. Uh, I'd say though the chances of it being completed right now are probably about fifty fifty. I
2: think. Um... I mean, I think it's fair to say that Liverpool are well-endowed in attack, but they don't have a lot of cover. I think they have two issues. They, they were kind of fortunate last season in that after they sold Philippe Coutinho, that famous front three that performed so well for them, managed to play essentially every game until the end of the season. So they didn't have um, a serious suspension and they didn't have a, a serious injury or even even fatigue issues with those players. So they definitely need... Uh, another quality attacker um, to to give themselves options, give themselves rotational options, um, given that they don't have Coutinho going into the season coming. And, and remember, Klopp um, having had real problems with uh, getting his his players through the winter period in his first two seasons at Liverpool actually adopted um, the most aggressive rotational strategy of any Premier League manager for the first half of last season and did so very successfully and, and um, resolved their their winter problems by doing that. So he'll be looking at it saying, I do need at least one more um, top quality forward to play in that front three. And I think the other thing that Fakir offers them, um, which those three don't have, is the ability to um, beat players one-on-one with skill rather than uh, with pace. So the, the classic problem Liverpool have had through the season is when they come up against teams that sit deep, um, all three of those players struggle to when they don't have space to play into. Nabil Fakir is a player who doesn't need necessarily need to have space to play into. So that is why he was on. Um, the recruitment list. I think finance is, is definitely an issue here because they have spent heavily already on Fabinho, um, on Nabi Keita. They obviously are trying to get a goalkeeper. Um, the, the, the top two choices for that position have been Alisson at AS Roma and um, Jan Oblak at Atletico Madrid. Um, both of those players, if they were able to convince them to come to Liverpool, which is very much open to question because they have suitors from bigger clubs, uh, would be extremely expensive. Roma don't want to sell for less than €90 million. Oblak um, has a €100 million Euro re- release clause at Atletico, which Atletico feel they will be able to achieve. So, and On top of that, Alisson is, uh, is a lead target for Real Madrid. Um, to replace Kaylor Navas. So I think Liverpool have looked at that, looked at the price, um, and looked at the likelihood of convincing either of those players to come in and said, well, we might not be able to spend that money or get these players, and we're going to have to look at other options. Um, one of the options they've been offered is Jasper Sillison at Barcelona, whose second-choice goalkeeper there um, has a €60 million Euro release clause and and could be extractable extractable from Barcelona because he wants to play, he wants to be a starting goalkeeper. An even cheaper option would be Bernd Leno, who will probably be sold um, this summer because his club have already replaced him and uh, they know he is interested in moving on and has has offers and interest from a number of clubs, including Arsenal. Um, that would probably be a 25 or 30 million euro deal, which would be a a big saving in that area. Um, Another area where Liverpool might save, and and this may have come into consideration with Nabil Fakir, is in moving for a player that they have scouted for a number of years in Portugal, um, Gelson Martins, who is, again, um, a wide attacker, um, again, a player who can um, beat an opponent with skill as opposed to pace. He, all, he has pace as well, but he, he will beat players one-on-one. Um, and Gelson Martin is one of six um, sporting players who have uh, cancelled their contracts in the last week um, with Just Cause um, because of the uh, training ground incident where uh, the sporting players were attacked in their own training ground that are... Um, our Portuguese friend, uh, Sergio Cretinas, explained to us um, a couple of weeks ago. So, in principle, Gelson Martins is now completely free to sign for any club he wants. Um, there, It's not a straightforward situation in that the court will have to uphold his claim um, to cancel his contract for just cause. So... I would think a more likely scenario is that the club wanting to sign him will use Gelson's claim to negotiate a discount on the transfer fee with sporting. Um, and the other players, there's a number of other players there alongside Gelson who are, who are going to be targets for <coughs> League clubs. Um, Rui Patricio, the Portugal goalkeeper, um, who is wanted by Wolves, William Carvalho also national team, uh, midfielder, um, was, uh, a big target for West Ham United last season. Uh, Bruno Fernandes, another midfielder, their centre-forward, Das Boss. All, all of those players have um, have rescinded their contracts before they had until Thursday to do so, and they've done that in the last um, last few days. So sporting um, could be the biggest fire sale in, in European football this summer.
0: Okay, well, one of the big stories of the summer is uh, the situation at Chelsea with regards to Antonio Conte, whether he'll stay or go. And we discussed it in quite a bit of detail last week. Now, Ian, I believe you have some news on the comings and goings or potential comings and goings.
1: Yeah, Johnny, I mean, this is becoming um, a bit of a saga of Nog in the Nog for those who um, remember <laughs> that very good cartoon. Um, and that is because uh, Antonio Conte. And his representatives, and by that I mean his legal representatives, have um, set out their stall and been very um, recalcitrant with regards to the way that they negotiate with Chelsea in terms of his exit. So let's just, you know, for the sake of things, including noggin, um, assume that he is leaving because we all know that that's going to be the case. Uh, the complication um, of the rejection of a renewal of Roman is visa to work in the UK which um, has sparked much speculation about his future commitment to Chelsea, including, obviously, the stadium investment, as well as whether or not he walks away, um, has had, uh, let's just say, a lower echelon um, reverberations. And that is to say that, um, at the moment, the obvious candidate to replace Conte, uh, Luis Enrique, is demanding around 15 16 million euros net per season uh, to to do so. He believes that there's only one club. I, I see Enrique uh, believes that there's only one club left who can afford him, and therefore that club uh, needs a new coach of his particular uh, status. But Abramovich, um from what I have heard, has actually said to his Um, generals, if you like, at their Cobham training ground, including Marina Grassoja, let's think outside the box, let's look at other options, and by that I mean cheaper options, and by saying cheaper options, it means that my investment, again, is um, less hefty and less risk um, involved in terms of going forward because who knows where I might be or what I might decide to do in the future. Now, this is significant for Chelsea, Obviously, and certainly the fans who are desperately hoping that Brownbridge does not try to sell the club or indeed withdraw his incredible um, generosity with regards to the way that he has uh, invested in players and wages and managers over the last uh, 14 years. So, um, two names that have been mentioned, which are, I think, credible and realistic, are Chiche, the Brazilian coach who has turned Brazilian's uh, World Cup qualifying campaign round from what was a shambolic start into a very very let's um, uh, just uh, euphoric procession in the end, uh, 30 goals scored, three conceded and um, a very easy um, passage to the tournament which starts on Thursday this week. And, of course, um, George Sampaoli as well at at Argentina, who has been linked with many positions in the Premier League already, including Arsenal. But uh, it's, again, someone who's eager to work in Europe and especially in England. Uh, Look, if either of those managers has a good World Cup, and let's face it, with the teams and the talent they have at their disposal in Argentina and Brazil, you'd expect them to get at least the semi-finals. Then I think that Abramovich could sell in um, and indeed may well take a gamble which pays off in employing someone who has not yet been mentioned uh, in terms of the Chelsea manager's job. So I think we may be waiting for you know a little while longer to find out who is Conte's replacement at Chelsea, and it may mean uh, waiting for World Cup matches to be played, uh, completed, and then see who comes out on top. And that, I think, as I said, is a, is a bit of a major um, step from where they were. Three months ago, where it was always about Enrique Angelotti.
2: I'd say Jorge Sampaoli has definitely um, been canvassing the European club market for um, several months now, and is definitely interested in a job in the Premier League. He sees he has a long-term contract at Argentina, but he sees this World Cup as a platform um, to to move back into or to move into European club football at the top level. Um, you're right about Arsenal. He was he was informally interviewed by Arsenal um, before they appointed Unai Emery, um, and I think Chelsea would be certainly be the kind of job that would interest him, and he would be a much um, cheaper option than um, certainly Louis Enrique and many of the other candidates that we've seen um, mentioned and uh, approached by Chelsea so
1: far. The other thing as well, Johnny, we should say, um, even just this week, uh, Aidan Hazard, arguably Chelsea's best player, um, came out um, and said to, uh, to Belgian television that he wanted to wait until after the managerial situation that Chelsea was resolved before deciding his own future or indeed committing his future. Now, as an employee of Chelsea, that's an interesting thing to say, given that Conte actually is still employed also, so clearly there's an obvious belief within the players in the dressing room at Chelsea that Conti's not going to be there when they get back from World Cup duty in their summer holidays. And also you've also got the situation with Thibaut Courtois who remains a candidate for Real Madrid albeit maybe not their first choice. So Chelsea have got a big decision to make with regards to who they employ next because clearly it's not just about who they get in to be the manager, it's about who they get in and who the players, who are their best players and, you know, Look at where Chelsea finished in the Premier League this season. They need to strengthen and they need to augment in order to be challengers for the Premier League next season. But it's where the players who are currently at Chelsea and under contract see that future as well. In terms, you know, They need to know, they need to believe that the club are going to be you know, competing as well. So it's a big, big, big summer for Chelsea. It's a big, big decision in terms of um, who they employ as coach as well. Yeah, I, th- I think there's there's two elements to that. I
2: think um, several of the uh, Chelsea players don't want Anto- Antonio Conte to be there, and uh, and are quite happy to, in the knowledge that he will either walk or be sat, um, and won't be there when they come back for uh, pre-season training. I think Willian is a very obvious example of that number, but it also suits um, someone like Eden Hazard. Who is waiting to see if a bigger club, um, in particular Real Madrid, finally come in and make a formal offer for him? To say, well, um, I don't want to. I don't want to decide on my future until the, the club has decided on the manager from a tactical perspective. From them, um, it helps them and allows them to to leave that that uh, issue to a later stage. And I I, I do think that Chelsea have a, a serious problem here with players who are central to their team. I mean, Hazard is the best player, their their key asset. Um, He will definitely move if he gets the right offer this summer. Um, Thibaut Courtois has told Chelsea he's not interested in signing a new contract. He is hoping to move this summer. Um, He knows he'll be out of contract in a year's time. He's prepared to wait until he's out of contract to move on a free after that. But he would like um, to get a move, ideally, to Madrid, ideally to Real Madrid, although he thinks, uh, I'm told, that's unlikely at present. He thinks Alisson will be the choice as goalkeeper. But he sees a possibility of Atletico Madrid if Jan Oblak was um, to leave, that uh, he would be able to return to the club where he won um, three trophies in three years, three major trophies in three years um, on loan from Chelsea initially. But uh, Courtois has a serious problem for, for Chelsea in that he will be lost for nothing in a year's time if they don't sell him this summer chelsea value him at 100 million euros i don't see any way they get that money in this market for a player who's got one year left of contract and has decided he's going to leave um and they also have a the, the difficulty of the shortened premier league transfer window so if if they are going to cash in on courtois this summer then they need to buy a new goalkeeper before the the transfer window closes for Premier League clubs in terms of buys and that will probably allow Courtois three additional weeks in which um, to market himself to other clubs who can then um, work in without the competition of, of other English Premier League teams bidding for Courtois and probably bring his price down so I think Thibaut Courtois thinks he's in a, in a strong position in terms of getting where he wants to go and not having to, to spend another year at Chelsea, and certainly not having to spend any more than another year at Chelsea.
0: Right, well, we're getting to the quick fire round stage of proceedings. So what we're going to look at today is the players that we think uh, are maybe less heralded. You know, everybody knows that Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar are going to light up this World Cup, but the less heralded players that are uh, going to light up this World Cup, I'm going to ask you about. So I'm going to start with you, Duncan. I want three names from each of you. Who are these players that are going to surprise us uh, in Russia?
2: Well, I'll do them in reverse order. So I'll go for the, 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 the outside, the number three pick. And that is a, a striker um, with Morocco, Ayoub El-Kabi. Um, still playing in the Moroccan League. Um, 24, uh, a real goal scorer. He's got 11 goals and in nine international appearances for Morocco. And... I just wonder if this could be the the Islam Slimani of this World Cup. If you remember, four years ago, Slimani was outstanding for Algeria, um, and in a you know an unexpected fashion, I think El Kabi, who's is, is very much under the radar in European football at present, could have a great World Cup and, and see himself perhaps moving to the Premier League
1: uh, after it. Ian. Yeah. Um, My third pick in uh, terms of Duncan's uh, way of doing it in reverse order will be Irving Lozano of Mexico. Uh, He is an incredibly fast winger who has just completed um, an impressive first season in European football with Dutch champions PSV Eindhoven. Uh, 17 goals uh, and eight assists uh, um, in his first season in Europe, which I think is really impressive. It's not just that. He's um he's got very he's got that brilliant kind of Mexican temperament of being, you know, laid back one minute and you know he'll be at your throat the next. And I think for that reason, uh in a very talented Mexico team, he could be someone to light light up the group stages.
2: Um yeah, the second pick is one that should be interest of interest to Manchester City fans. Um because he's at Melbourne City, so he's already under Control of the Abu Dhabi, ten worldwide football tentacles. Nineteen-year-old um, uh, Daniel Arzani, um, Iranian-born, playing for Australia. He has had twenty-three minutes for the national team. He's played come off the bench twice in their recent friendlies, and he's already scored for them. Um, extremely quick, extremely talented. The interesting thing is going to be is going to be to see um, if. The new Australia coach Bert van Marwijk has prepared to play him, um, play him even from the start in their World Cup matches.
1: For me, um, Johnny, on my second choice, someone we've actually discussed on the transfer window uh, because of the interest of Manchester United, but is also attracting interest now from Real Madrid, is uh, Lazio's uh, 23 year old midfielder Sergei Milinkovic Savic. Uh, uh, he's not exactly you know, a dark horse or a big surprise because obviously his season with Latsu is well known. But at six foot four um, and at his age, he possesses everything in terms of physicality, quality of passing, his ability to read a game, which I think will be very, very crucial to Serbia's chances uh, of um, progressing from the group stages in this World Cup. Uh, the player is effectively for sale because Lazio want to cash in on him and they will be hoping, I think, that he has uh, or takes the stage by storm in Russia in order they can um, maximise their price for him. But look, he can dribble and shoot and score as well. He's, um, he's a bit like Paul Pogba, but with discipline.
2: The first choice is someone who, uh, one of the, I'm chatting to a contact of mine who's uh, a leading scout, uh, last night, and and asked him who he'd have as his as his top pick in the World Cup as a as a, a lesser known light, and he he described this player as one of the best young players in the world. Um, Ismaila um another forward at for Senegal, uh, currently playing at Ron in France, um, five goals in Ligue 1 this season, just twenty years old. Um, watch out for him, and let's see if. Uh, if he's as good as
1: my uh, as my pal says he is. So first for me, Johnny, um, I want to mention Timo Werner. Um, and again, I know that's not going to be a massive shock to most people because uh, we have very educated uh, listeners on the Transfer Window podcast. But it, he's interesting because, um, as we know, Germany have played with a false nine, false ten, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, in the last uh, two World Cups. But Werner's an out-and-out striker who has um, absolutely flourished since leaving Stuttgart, for RB Leipzig, who, of course, are everyone's most hated team in Germany. But, you know, he's scored eight times in the last 13 games for Die Mannschaft uh, and therefore is, uh, I think, a starter now. So Germany will have a striker at this World Cup. And, of course, uh, since the retirement of the um, record-breaking Muroslav Klose, they haven't had that. Just throw one other name into the frame, because let's face it, the legends of quickfire round needs to be slightly less than quickfire. <laughs> and that's uh, Pionis um, who was born in Uganda, but plays for Denmark. Uh, he's a winger, um, a little bit um, in the same uh, sort of mould as um, Irving Lozano at Mexico, who I mentioned. He's unpredictable. He's um, very, very fast. He has a very good record of assists playing for Celta Vigo in the Liga last season. Um, If Ericsson is kind of, I don't know, the conductor of the Denmark team's orchestra, then Sisto would be the leading violinist. And um, he might be the one who's providing the assists and goals as they go through the tournament.
0: All names to watch out for, guys. Um, In terms of the actual teams, who do you see as the, the main dark horses, starting with you, Duncan?
2: I just pick one um, team that I think could go further than we expect, and that's Morocco. Um, it's not just El Kabi. There's a lot of um, talented young players in that squad, and they've got a, a, an interesting group in that they're in with Portugal and Iran. And I know Portugal aren't looking forward to, to playing against them, and they could just just do enough to um, to knock the European champions out in the in the group stages, and then. Um, if they get through to the knockouts with uh, with the kind of talent they've got in their squad, they could surprise people.
1: For me, um, Johnny, <clears throat> I think South Korean football has advanced hugely. Duncan and I were privileged enough to cover the World Cup finals in South Korea and Japan in 2002. Um, obviously, there was a bit of controversy over South Korea's progress in that particular tournament regarding refereeing and good management, etc. But... They've been building and building and building and we've just, I think, touched the the top of the iceberg um, in terms of um, seeing their talented uh, um, uh, players uh, perform in Europe or indeed in in the English Premier League. And in a group with Germany, Mexico and Sweden, uh, I would see Mexico as um, the main threat to Germany. Obviously, as everyone knows, without his last hand, Sweden, you know, just aren't even worth talking about, including Vlasen, obviously, shares my point of view on that. And so I think <laughs> South, South Korea could well challenge uh, Mexico for second place uh, to qualify for the knockout stages, uh, along with Germany. And so they would be my team to just keep an
0: eye on. And just very, very briefly, in three words, England's chances. I think you
1: got your answer there the silence.
0: <laughs> Complete silence. I was waiting for absolutely no chance. No. I, actually, I actually think Liverpool. Uh, I think uh, England. Liverpool? Will...
1: Who are they? Liverpool.
0: Are they playing the World Cup Finals? Uh, I, think, I think England will uh, surprise a few people. I think they've got a good young team there. And if they can hold it together and cope with the pressure, I think they'll do a right quarterfinals. Okay. OK, here's
1: my three-word answer, which you can edit in then, Johnny. Round of 16. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Just say I'm glad Ian I'm glad you picked Korea because I can I can tell you we've got quite a few listeners in, in Korea who are fans of the podcast. And uh as yeah, as someone who, who started covering football in Japan and first World Cup was in Korea, I've always been a, a big admirer of that team and those players and I think they've they have the, they have a combination of uh, of skill and uh a hardness about them which makes them uh actually better suited to European football than the the Japanese players have ever been
1: but what about England do Duncan you're you're avoiding the subject now
2: (laughs) (laughs) what about England there you go there's three words
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay and with that I'm going to bring this transfer window to a close to continue the debate you can follow us on Twitter Uh, I'm at Johnny R. McFarlane more importantly the guys are at Duncan Castles and at Garbo S.J. If you liked the pod, you should subscribe via iTunes, ACAST, or whatever you use to listen. And of course, five-star reviews and ratings are a massive help to drive new listeners to the pod as well. If you're a business owner and you want to be associated with the transfer window, we're looking for a sponsor. So please get in touch via one of our social media channels. We'll be back next week on Tuesday before 3 p.m. Thanks for listening.